Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. This is your host, Alan Reinock. Today we're going to talk about the so-called travel ban. And our guest today is uh, law professor Ilya Somin from George Mason University Law School, also an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute, a blogger for the Vala Conspiracy, and author of several books, including Democracy and Political Ignorance, Why Smaller Government is Smarter. And I hope I didn't botch your, your pronunciation of your name, Professor. Did I get it okay? Only very slightly. It's Soman. Soman. Uh, thank you so much for having me. So, you know, the story keeps changing. When I first invited you to do this show, we had a decision from the Ninth Circuit on the travel ban that was different from the Fourth Circuit's uh, criticism of, you know, this being discriminatory towards Muslims. And now we have the Supreme Court kind of splitting the difference. Uh, why don't you start by kind of giving us an update on exactly where we are with the travel ban? Okay, sure. So the travel ban executive order was first issued in January. It was hammered in several court decisions. So the president issued a somewhat revised order uh, in March. Uh, that, too, was defeated in court uh, for two separate reasons. Uh, one is that the provision that targets six Muslim-majority nations for a 90-day ban on their citizens entering the U.S., it was ruled by the Fourth Circuit correctly, in my view, as actually being targeted to discriminate against Muslims uh, on the basis of their religion. The second reason why it was attacked in court, and this was the basis of the Ninth Circuit ruling, is that the president acted without proper congressional authorization, that the power to control immigration, at least under current Supreme Court precedent, ultimately resides in Congress. And so the president can only exclude people in ways authorized by Congress. And the Ninth Circuit said that this was not authorized. And both the Ninth Circuit and the Fourth Circuit issued in temporary injunctions preventing the travel ban and some other parts of the executive order from going into effect preliminary injunction is usually issued before a final decision on the merits when the courts believe that uh, the plaintiffs uh, have a substantial likelihood of success on the merits uh, and also meet several other criteria related to equity and balancing of interest and the public interest and the like. Sure. Uh, the Supreme Court yesterday uh, did not issue any kind of final ruling on the travel ban litigation, but they did issue a ruling on the preliminary injunctions that were put in place by the Fourth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and to slightly oversimplify, they kept part of the injunction in place and lifted the rest. Uh, the part that they kept in place is that the travel ban cannot be used to exclude people from those six countries uh, or also some other people covered by the order, such as refugees, if those people have a bona fide connection to the United States. Uh, what counts as a bona fide connection? One might be that you have a close relative in the U.S. Another is that you have some kind of 
formal connection to an organization in the U.S., such as an employer who has offered you a job, a university who has offered you a position as a student, or in some cases, if some organization has invited you to lecture or give a speech or the like. Uh, they have said that the connection must be formal in some way and that it can't be created just for the purpose of getting around the executive order. There is, I think, some question as to what range of people is covered by this exception or by the requirement of a bona fide connection. Uh, some experts argue that actually the large majority of those who could get in from these six countries at all probably come within this exception because it's not that easy to get a visa from one of those countries anyway if you don't have such a connection. Others argue that actually you know, that may not be the case. I think there's also an issue about connections with refugee organizations. The court indicates that a refugee organization adding you to your client list is not enough to get you in, but it could be that they mean that it's not enough if the organization added you simply for the purpose of getting around the order, but perhaps if the organization developed a relationship in the normal course of business, as the court puts it, then things would be different. Uh, going forward, uh, there's also questions about what this means for the, you know, for the final disposition of the case. I think that this position is not as good as some commentators say that it is. So, you know, when we look at this, I mean, aside from all of the political maneuvering and uh, hysteria over this issue, the executive order was a 90-day ban. And by the time I mean, arguably, it's already been 90 days since the second executive order was issued. It's going to be more than another 90 days before the case is heard by the court. So whatever efforts the administration thought it needed to make to tighten up security and screening people from these countries, they will have had plenty of time uh, by their own measure to do that. Um, and I know there's been some discussion about whether ultimately the case will be moot at the point where the court hears it. But, you know, for our purposes here at Freedom's Ring, our real concern is in terms of religious discrimination and taking a look, I think, at the Fourth Circuit that went far beyond the Ninth Circuit's original discussion of the Establishment Clause and the religious freedom concerns, and really came out and said, look, this is bigotry. And, you know, they issued the injunction based on the rhetoric of the administration saying there's just too much evidence that this really is a Muslim ban. Um, I think if Christians in America saw this as a Christian ban, they would be very, very concerned. So why don't you talk for a minute about what was the evidence that the Fourth Circuit was looking at? Why did it conclude that this really is, is unconstitutional on religious freedom grounds? Yeah, I think the Fourth Circuit reached the right conclusion on this, and let me try to explain why. First, uh, it has long been the doctrine of the Supreme Court that there can be cases where a law or an executive order is on its face neutral, but if there's evidence that it was motivated by a desire to target people based on race or ethnicity, or in this case, religion, it could still be struck down. Uh, and the court has said that the way you look at that evidence is that you look at the surrounding circumstances around the enactment of the uh, regulation or law in question. And here, the circumstances are extremely damning. Uh, throughout much of the campaign last year, Donald Trump Trump explicitly advocated a ban 
on Muslims entering the United States. Uh, later in the campaign, he switched formally to a territorial focus on particular countries, but at the time, he specifically said he was not retreating from his position targeting Muslims. Rather, he called the new focus an expansion of that view, not a retraction of it. Later, when he tasked some of his subordinates and associates, such as Rudy Giuliani, with crafting the order, Rudy Giuliani himself said in a Fox News interview that uh, the president told him that we have a Muslim ban and find a way to make it legal. In other words, this is a pretty blatant example of trying to find a way to do something that targets Muslims, but doesn't, at least at a superficial level, look like it's doing so. Uh, and you combine that with the fact that the security rationale for disorder is extraordinarily weak uh, in the entire time in recent decades that uh, we have measures for these things, the number of Americans killed by an immigrant terrorist from any of these six countries is exactly zero. Uh, you have a much higher chance of being killed by a lightning strike in a given year uh, than you have of being killed by an immigrant terrorist of any kind, actually, much less one from these six countries. So when you combine the extensive evidence of the bigoted motivation with the lack of a good alternative rationale for the order, you have both good legal reasons and, frankly, good moral and practical reasons for concluding that uh, religious discrimination was the true motive behind this order. And as you say, uh, if Christians or Jews or some other group was targeted in a similar way, people would be deeply concerned, and we have good reason to be concerned when it's Muslims who are being targeted as well. Well, and there has been some discussion about whether our refugee policy unfairly, uh, you know, favored Muslims over Christians, and that Christians haven't been allowed refugee status from some of the Middle Eastern countries uh, in appropriate numbers. I'm not sure that's true. Are you familiar with that debate? Yes. Uh, I think there's no evidence of intentional discrimination either by the Obama administration or any previous administration trying to exclude Christians. There may be some indirect problems from the fact that when refugees are processed by American refugee agencies and the like, often they're only processed after they get to United Nations organized and sponsored camps. And conditions in many of these camps are very bad. And often they're particularly bad for Christians and other religious minorities in the area because those people often are targeted or harassed by uh, radical Islamists and the like. So I think there is genuine reason for enormous concern about Christian refugees in the Middle East. And we definitely, in other countries, definitely should be doing more to help them. Uh, but I don't think the way to do that is to exclude Muslim and other refugees, rather both Christians and Muslims and other groups have suffered enormously because of the war in Syria and Iraq and the like. And the proper thing to do, I think, is to do what we can to help more people in all of those categories rather than try to make invidious discriminations between Christians and Muslims or other groups. Now, just so we're clear, the six countries that are the target of this travel ban, are these countries um, where we've been processing refugee applications? Yes, uh, at least certainly before the order. Uh, there have been refugees from each of these six countries who have come in, particularly from Syria. 
under normal process, and we've never had problems of terrorist violence from refugees from those countries, at least not in any substantial scale. Indeed, native-born Americans actually, uh, by different available data, have a higher rate of terrorism than refugees from these six countries do. And, you know, I'll remind our listeners, I have interviewed uh, officials from some of the Christian organizations working with refugees, and they've all insisted that the screening and vetting processes are very strong, very thorough, and that this is not a problem. This is not something that we need to somehow tighten up on. And uh, they disagree from a Christian point of view that, um, that we need uh, new procedures for dealing with refugees from these countries. I think that's largely correct. No screening process can be completely perfect, but the data on incidents of terrorism and violence from these groups actually very much supports what you just said. Uh, if you want to say we can't let in anybody in Western zero chance that they might do something bad, uh, then we really should not let anybody in from any country, and we probably shouldn't have let in any of the groups that, from which most Americans today are descended. The last question that I have, given that it was supposed to be a 90-day ban, and it's been, you know, way more than 90 days since the original order back in January or February, um, is there any evidence that the administration has actually taken steps to implement new vetting procedures during this time? Because they don't need a ban, you know, to do that. They're certainly free to implement whatever protections they think are necessary. There's a little bit of complexity in that issue because the injunction issued by one of the trial courts in the case, according to administration, that injunction actually prevented them from doing the study of new vetting procedures. That part of the trial court injunction was actually lifted by the Ninth Circuit in May. So since then, the administration has been free to conduct research into vetting procedures. To what extent they've actually done so, I don't know. As you say, there's a good chance that the Supreme Court might ultimately conclude that these cases are moot because more than 90 days will have passed since the lifting of that part of the injunction by the time the case is argued in the Supreme Court in the fall. So it's possible we won't actually get a decision on the merits. The Supreme Court might say, well, the case is just moot. Well, we're out of time. Our guest, law professor Ilya Soman, we've been talking about the travel ban. Thank you so much for being with us on Freedom's Ring today. Thank you very much for having me. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.